for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blisey, and this is episode number 31. And on today's episode, we've got a really cool guest, and he's from Missouri. His name's Chuck Weldon of the Whitetail Fix. And I don't know about you, man, but I'm excited to get him on the phone. What's your take on it? Yeah, I'm excited to hear hear him speak and just have some conversation with him. I know he's a heck of a hunter, and you know he passes some giant deer that most people probably shake their head at, you know, and say must be nice. But uh, he's just always, you know, knowing who he is from the fix, from Whitetail Fix, uh, just one of those people who seems to have, you know, have his have his crap together. He's in the right mindset all the time, and he just knows that you yep. can't kill 180s if you shoot them when they're 170, you know, and it's just a matter of right what you identify as, as your target and, you know, managing for that. And uh, I've always respected that about about Chuck and other hunters like him, so I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to talk to him. Yeah, for sure. And there's a couple things I want to get into, and, and that's that's one of the big ones is – you know, him, the ability for him to pass the deer that he does pass, you know, and it's crazy. I mean, we see it on TV and, and I've known Chuck, you know, he's one of my, been one of my good friends for the last couple of years. And, and, uh, I, you know, I talk to him every once in a while and, and through the season, just say, Hey, what's going on? What, do, what are you killing? What are you seeing? Stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. And, and actually for everybody that doesn't know, you're going to, it's, he's going to be a familiar voice. If you've heard the podcast before, he's actually, the VO guy at the beginning of the podcast. So the day I called him and asked him, hey, you want to do some VO stuff? And he's like, heck yeah, you know, I'll do that for sure. He's like, I don't know if I have the voice for it, but uh, he's exactly who I wanted to do it. And the reason why is because he's also is, he's a radio host in Kansas City as well. So he's been doing radio for a lot of years too. So he's familiar with everything and he's got a pretty good, pretty good voice that I wanted to to be able to do that. And and, uh, he he said, good, let's do it. So before we get him on here, I haven't really talked to you in the last couple of days and, uh, you know, with the, with the new year and everything and to everybody, 
haven't said it before, but Happy New Year. We are in 2019, and uh, Happy New Year to you as well, Justin. But what, uh, what's what been going on the last couple of days and everything? You've been hunting and filming? What have you been up to? Yeah, well, Happy New Year to you as well and to Alyssa and and uh, Peyton. But uh, I actually have not been hunting in quite a while. Uh, I did buy my late-season muzzleloader tag yesterday, and uh, I had plans to go scout out some some public land like I've been talking about and try to find those food sources. I was kind of banking on between New Year's Eve yesterday. Well, we're recording on the 1st, but so, so yesterday being New Year's Eve and today being New Year's Day, uh, I was kind of counting on some low pressure out in the public land, and the weather was right. We got a little bit of snow, some freezing rain. It got real nasty, and today I think it was like a high of 10 degrees. But uh, I don't know. Like we talked about that last podcast, you kind of, you know, you're approaching that wall, you know, and like all of a sudden you fall asleep on the couch at six o'clock, and you're like, "What happened?" <laughs> and uh, that was me on New Year's Eve yesterday. I fell asleep around 9:30 and uh, woke up this morning and felt like I got hit by a train. So. If I sound like I'm underwater, it's because I feel like I am, and I came down with a, <laughs> a bit of a cold today out of nowhere, so I actually did not yep. get to hunt today, which is unfortunate, but, uh, you know, we talked, I guess it was two weeks ago now about, I guess maybe a week ago, the last podcast, I think, about those late season tactics and talking about, you know, how sometimes a, a warm-up in the weather can be just as effective as that, that cold snap, so... I'm banking on that. I'm going to try to nurse myself back to health here and try to hunt it out the rest of the week. And uh, I actually decided not to go to ATA just to buy myself a couple more days because our season ends on the 10th, and that's the end of Iowa season. So just buy myself as much time as I can to hunt. My wife also has a tag for this late season, so uh, I don't know. I'm just going to give it hell and... Hope I feel better here in a couple of days to to be able to spend the time out there I need to to try to find a buck on public land after three seasons. <laughs> well, I've been fighting the good fight, I guess you could say. I've been out hunting a couple times and been striking out. <laughs> um, we are well, actually, today as we're recording this uh, is the last day of Michigan's deer season, um, but the last week or so I've been trying to pick pick my battles and and trying to to get out when I can you know um and try to try to get a doe I want to I've got a couple doe tags and I wanted to you know get some meat in the freezer and everything and I know I'm going to be going to Ohio this week I'm leaving Friday for Ohio um for the last hurrah basically and that I'm not going to go to ATA as well because I've got an Ohio you know buck tag and a doe tag in my pocket that I, I want to, I want to fill those tags. But in Michigan here, I, you know, we talked about it earlier on the other podcast is that we got a, a doe issue up to the family farm and I wanted to get up there and, and kill a doe and everything. And so I had a plan to go out, uh, on, it would have been Sunday morning, uh, and, no, I'm sorry, Saturday morning. So I'd be going out Saturday morning. The wind was out of the north, and I was going to go out in the morning. So to get to my pro- into the property, you have to go through the field to get in. So it's not very ideal for a morning sit. So um, my plan was to 
just pull inside of the of the trail right off the road and I was just going to kind of wait for it to get daylight and the wind I was I was south of the property so the wind would be hitting me right in the face and my plan was um just to basically still hunt the whole field and our our field is pretty hilly and uh I figured I could probably get pretty close to a doe and be able to take her so you know I got up there and um, I had one of the other guys, Pat Cook, he, he came with me and we were going to, we were going to try to double up. And, uh, so we get there in the morning and, and, uh, get everything situated and it starts getting daylight and we're like, well, let's, let's head out, you know, and start easing our way up these hills. So as we get up the first hill, we see some does, uh, they're a ways away. So we, we get down in this, we, we kind of backtrack and we get down in this, in this valley and we knew once we get down in the valley we can start working our way right to them but we figured that we would probably still be a good good clip away from when when we start getting exposed we were hoping they were going to move a little bit down into the hole where they were at and uh, as we start getting exposed we don't see the deer anymore so we're like what the heck so we keep going and they actually did they moved down in that hole so it actually worked out a lot better we were able to get to about 165 yards away, and there was four of them. Made sure they weren't button bucks, and none of them <laughs> were button bucks, uh, and made sure they were a good size and older. We're trying to, trying to, you know, go after the older does, and found two of them, you know, and, and we're sitting there, and, and we were going to do a one, two, three kind of shoot deal, and we've done it before, and it, it's kind of tricky. It can be tricky, but uh, it it's worked out every time we've done it before, and so <laughs> we we finally get all the deer to clear and broadside and everything and ready to go and and we you know do the one two three shoot and nobody shoots <laughs> <laughs> so well what I was the one counting and I was trying to you know start pulling the trigger and I was hoping it was going to go off at three and it didn't and I think he was doing the same thing so it was kind of one of those like okay, what do we do? And then like a minute and a half, not a minute, I'm sorry, like a second and a half go by and he just, whoom, you know, he shoots. And then the deer are starting to run and everything. And the deer that I was aiming at starts running right at us and she kind of starts slowing down and I get on her and, and she kind of gets to a spot where I can shoot and I, I pull the trigger and click. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I know I loaded the gun. And then they run into the woods. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So... I've got a, a bolt action Savage 270 and I open the bolt and the and the shell comes flying out. And I'm like, what the hell? And I grab it and I look at it, no dimple, no nothing in the shell. Nothing. Cool. It just didn't go off. And I said, Did you hear it click? He goes, Yeah, I heard it click. And I'm like, what the hell? you know? So I'm like beside myself because I've had a difficult year you know yeah. with the whole gym thing and then um you know and then going down to ohio and having to pass up the biggest deer i would have you know been able to take and now this and it's like i'm just trying to get meat for the freezer so we go up and and check out you know where he shot his deer no blood no nothing and he's like well i don't know if exactly i didn't really feel confident in it and i'm like well okay so let's track it anyway so we're we there was snow on the ground and we spent a good amount of time you know trying to find blood didn't find any blood finally come to the conclusion that it was a clean miss and uh we kind of grid searched the uh 
the hills to this 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 hilly um, section of the property we call the oaks and um, so we didn't find anything and so we've we chalked it up as this clean mess so him and I weren't going to be able to be able to go hunting until it had been Sunday night and uh, so we went back out to that property Sunday night and it was him and and me and and his dad we were going to three different spots and um, I was actually going to my cousin's blind and he's like yeah there's been a lot of does down in there and he's actually hunting on the edge of like a cedar swamp on a on a big oak ridge and uh so i i, I start you know walking in and, and the wind was kind of iffy and i knew i had to do a different loop to get into the blind to make sure where the deer i knew there were the deer were bedding i just needed to do different loops so they wouldn't smell me i get in the blind and I think I texted you or something there. I sent you a picture of like, you know, here we go. You know, let's let's try this again, kind of thing. And yep. And uh, it, I'm serious. Like, I was sitting there. It wasn't five minutes later, and I pick my binos up, and I'm just kind of glassing the timber. And as I'm scanning the timber, deer just started starting started to appear. They were down in front of me. I think when I got in the blind, they had no idea. And they're at like a hundred yards. I'm like, holy cow! And there was like four of them. So now I'm like, got to pick out the biggest one and the oldest one and make sure the other ones, you know, make sure it's not a button buck and everything because their fur is starting to get longer now, you know, and it's late season, so they all kind of look big. So I'm looking, and I found one button buck, and then I pick out the alpha. I mean, she's a big doe, and uh, she starts working her way to the, it would have been to the east, and they were going to start hitting my wind. And uh, she stopped right in the shooting lane and put the put the crosshairs on her and let her let her eat. And this shell did go off. Thank that God. <laughs> and yeah, that one did work. And um, she ran off probably thirty yards, and that was the end of it, man. So I got my meat in the freezer. <laughs> nice. Congratulations. Yep. So yeah, for sure. It it only took me the whole hunting season to get something on the ground. I mean, I did have an opportunity earlier, but it's the way it goes. Like sometimes I said before. Yeah. It's been a long journey, but I got got meat in the freezer now, so I'm leaving Friday for Ohio, and uh, I got a doe tag and a buck tag. So we will see what happens with the muzzleloader down there. Nice. Well, I hope you. I hope your decision to pass. Well, well I guess it wasn't your decision. It was in the moment, but I hope you don't see that deer again. I hope you see something <laughs> that makes passing him worth it. I'm really hoping so too. You know, <laughs> I really hope he's just the deer i don't see i mean it'd be nice to see him because he he has he's a really he's a very beautiful deer i mean i just don't want to have to see him and and make that i mean i'll the call's already made i can't shoot him right. you know but i just don't want to have to go through that again yeah that's the but worst. you know it, in in the story aspect it'll make for a great story because that just you know does another encounter that we can build in for next year for if somebody you know does be, have the opportunity to take him basically yeah we will see What's your plans going forward here? Then are you gonna are you gonna make it out for to try to to fill that last tag? Yeah, definitely am. Um, I'm hoping to. I'm gonna give it a shot tomorrow if uh, if I feel better. But it's just it's a mental battle, I think, to begin with, because the piece I want to go to is like an hour and a half one way. 
So it's it's quite an investment in the day to go down there to hunt and then have yeah. to drive back, you know, after you've been out there in the cold and which it, it is. It is what it is. It's it's that time to do it and I just there's just part of me that says, you know, there's there's not going to be a deer left on public ground right now, but the other part of me says, you know, you got to go look. If you don't look, right, you'll definitely you definitely won't know. So right. I think if I can go find some yep. food, I have a a fighting chance, but you know I'm not gonna just go shoot any buck to say I tagged out this year. I'm still gonna hold myself to that to that standard. You know I want to I want at least a four year old out there. I, I, is what I'm holding yeah. out for. You know, just like I did during the archery season. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's realistic or not right now. It's still a learning experience for me. You know, hunting Iowa and let alone being on public ground. So I really don't know what to expect for this for this late season well, anyway. Yeah, well, the good thing is you're you're going to get out there and try it, and, you know, you're going to learn more too. You're going to learn, yeah. you know, maybe there isn't deer on this this piece late season. So, yep. you know, for the next couple of years or however long you hunt it, you, you, you know, or you might learn something else too, that it could be a deer. It's where they yard up. You never know. Yeah, I, that's true. You don't, but I, I do know that there were two bean fields that were, you know, three to four acres a piece, that in the middle of November still hadn't gotten picked yet. So I'm kind of I'm banking on those still being unpicked. Uh, they may be picked over by the deer, but uh, they were not harvested as of the middle of November. So yeah, that's that's what I'm going back to look at. Well. I give you luck, man. Hopefully everything works out for you and you're able to fill that last tag. Yeah, thank you. And good luck to you as well in Ohio. Um, I think we're both kind of throwing the Hail Mary right now. We've got one tag left apiece and uh, only, I don't know, seven or eight days left to to get out there. So got to try. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll have some some, uh, good content to talk about for the podcast just on our own. Yeah, I hope so. Speaking of that, uh, there's a lot of awesome information in this one, um, so I say we get right into it and just just run it. Let's let everybody hear what Chuck has to say. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to get him on, so let's do that. All right, here we are. It is uh, episode 31, and today we have a pretty special guest on. His name is Chuck Weldon, and for a lot of people that don't know him. He actually is the VO guy for the Fall Podcast. So, Chuck Weldon, how are you, man? I'm doing good, buddy. How are you guys? We're doing good, doing good. Doing good. Yeah, you, you definitely know you're scraping the bottom of the barrel when uh, when, when you got to go out and talk to the VO guy on your hunting podcast, right? <laughs> you know, I don't look at it that way. I look at it as, you know, you and I have been pretty good buddies for the last five or six years, and, and you're a... Uh, not only a really good deer hunter, but you're a, a good friend, a great farmer, and just just all around good to talk to. I, I appreciate that. Likewise. Well, before we get too far into this, Chuck, do you want to kind of give a quick background on, you know, what you do with the whitetail fix? What is the whitetail fix and, you know, what you do on a day-to-day and and where you're from? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm from, uh, from north central Missouri. Gallup, Missouri is, is what I call home. And uh, uh, I guess uh, in full disclosure, I'll be 42 here uh, next month and, and uh, been a part of the Whitetail Fix since its inception, which, uh, 
gosh, I think we're filming season seven now, which feels like it's kind of like a marriage. Uh, you know, feels like season 17 now. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I think we're filming uh, season seven and uh, uh, we're, we're down a few guys from what we first started. But uh, Whitetail Fix was all created after we uh, were, were blessed to do a show with Dury Outdoors called Dream Season Working Man. And when that show uh, when that show came to an end, there was only a couple of us from the show that that was picked up to be a part of the the Drury staff, which you know back then and I would say still is now is the holy grail of uh, of outdoor pro staff. And when we didn't make it, Mark Drury uh, uh, he told us at our at our last group hunt, he said, you know, uh, for those of you that don't make it, he said you're all good enough to, to do your own thing and. Uh, it wasn't long after that one of the guys started calling and asking for footage and kind of knew that something was up a little bit and and uh, uh, they put together a, a sizzle reel and and the rest is history. The whitetail fix was born. So obviously had a had a chance to work with you, Aaron, at at, uh, at the roost uh, for one season and and learned so much from you guys up there that we uh, that we've put forth into the show ever since and. We're still going. It's a it's a tough road, but uh, we're still trucking along. Yep. So you guys you guys are on the Sportsman's Channel still, correct? Yep. Yep. Um, gosh, and and forgive me. I, I well, I I would say that we're not airing now because we're after the first of the year. But uh, I think our prime airing is on on Sunday evenings. I I don't even know the exact times. You know, everything they do. We're out here in the in the, the good part of the world in Central Standard Time. And then you know everything. <laughs> everything they do, uh, everything they do for, for television is Eastern. So uh, I'm wary to even say what our air times are, and they may change for next year. But we air third and fourth quarter, so I would assume that that we're wrapped up now. So. Yep. Yeah, I mean but, Eastern time it runs basically the whole U.S. So I mean you guys are just going to suck it up. Well, <laughs> I, I tell people all the time that we've got it better because we don't have to go to bed as early as you, and we don't have to get up as early as you guys do. But, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so and That's on a right. daily basis, back to your your question, I'm a full time farmer. Um, I run. Uh, my dad has has retired. He's still he's still active in the farm, but uh, but I. Uh, Took over the farm from him here a couple of years ago. We farmed about 3,500 acres of corn and soybeans, and then I'm a contract pork producer for a, a large uh, uh, Smithfield Foods, one of the largest pork producer in the world. But um, we've got about uh, we got capacity for 6,800 head of pigs uh, right now, and I'm built actually building the 9,600 head nursery as we speak. So, um, wow. so I play I play in the pig poop and and the dirt when I'm when I'm not out chasing deer. So. <laughs> Yeah. Well, today I wanted to kind of get you on and do a couple couple things here and I wanted to talk about some some topics that I really think that you're one of the best at. And that is one, we'll start with this. In it is the the ability to to age deer on the hoof and pass deer up. And because I see some of the footage and you send me pictures and, you know, you and I talk through the fall and everything and you sending me stuff like you're passing these deer up and I'm like, holy crap. Like, how are you passing these deer up? Like, you know, a deer that to your standards, cause you know, we'll get into a little more here in a bit. I'll ask you, you know, what you're looking for, for your standards of, as far as, you know, deer you're trying to get on. And, um, because the deer you're passing up, I mean, I'd be 
much obliged to to <laughs> to get an opportunity. I'll tell you. So, you know, if you could start by you know just telling us, you know, what what are your standards and and what are you looking for to get on every year when you go into a season? Well, the, there's there's a running joke within within the, the whitetail fix and and even with a lot of my friends that that every deer on my farm is two and a half years old. And I'll be honest, I don't know that, that you know, that I am as good as, as what you say at, at, at aging deer. I just, uh, you know, I, Mark Drury and, and Lee Lakoski and, and Don Kiske, I mean, these guys that we've all watched for, for years, and, and that's just naming a few. There's so many more great ones out there that, you know, I've just, I've learned so much from watching all these guys on, on TV. And, and it's so hard because, uh, you know, the size of the deer and stuff vary from from state to state and and i don't know i've just you know i've learned to to watch deer through trail camera pictures and and whatnot and and quite frankly you know i may say it's a three-year-old in reality it may be four but if it's not you know if it's not what i'm after then obviously i'm not i'm not going to draw my bow but i was very fortunate that my first bow kill uh and it, it was gross gross score you know, around 155, I believe, 152, 155. And I just kind of set a standard. And, and I've always been, I'm an animal lover. Um, I've always, you know, just been an animal lover. And I, I've never been, I've never been one to go out and just shoot a buck for the sake of shooting a buck. If I want meat, then I'll, then I'll harvest a doe. And, and I, I take great pride in what I got hanging on my wall. I mean, I've, I've almost every deer on my wall is, you know, is 150 plus. And uh, I just kind of set my standards at that. And I've had, I was hunting the biggest deer of my life this year, probably, probably a 200 plus inch deer. Um, somebody else ended up killing it. And I passed, you know, I passed, uh, on the same farm, uh, probably a mid one fifties buck. And then I was hunting just a couple nights ago. Um, had a, I'm guessing upper forties, low fifties, uh, 10 point come out. And it was, uh, you know, it just wasn't, I, I looked at it and I said, there's three, that there's three, that's there's three. I watched the footage back. Uh, one of the guys, Steve Philly, he said, Chuck, that there's four, that there's four, that there's four. You're crazy. Um, but I just look at it as, you know, hopefully, hopefully by giving them a pass to next year, you know, the old saying is, you know, um, you know, you can't kill a big one if you kill a small one or, you know, or I can't remember the exact saying, but, you know, you got to let them grow. And that's just my, you know, that's just my philosophy. It takes a lot of willpower. You know, when, you know, the other night I was out there freezing my tail off and, and I've chased this big deer all season, you know, really just worn out and run down and, and whatnot. And it had been real easy, uh, at 15 yards on the ground, uh, to put an end to my season, but it's just, you know, you can't kill them big if, if you don't let them, you know, let the little ones go. So now, you know, you were saying, you know, you passed up a mid one fifties buck this year. Now, when when you when you're sitting there, now you were after a you know giant. You know what you think is you know two hundred inch deer this year. You know, were you in a spot at that moment where you really thought that you know were you in that big deer's bedroom where you didn't want really want to screw there everything up by killing this one fifty or was it something when you first saw that one fifty that you were like. It just didn't get you going, or, oh, it, it or got, what was that? It got that? me going. It, in fact, on that that particular hunt, the, this farm, and, and to answer your question first, the, the big deer did not live on my farm. Um, and if you want me to get into that, I can. I mean, last year when I when I hunted that deer, 
I had three pictures of that deer August the 3rd. Uh, we were feeding Big and Jay, which is legal here in Missouri. Um, we were feeding Big and Jay, and I got three pictures of that deer August the 3rd. One possible picture December the 1st, and then three back-to-back encounters in mid to late December. I can't remember the exact days. Fast forward to 2018. I believe it was August the 13th. I got a half a dozen pictures of him on a feed pile. Didn't get another picture of him until the 7th of November. But he's a world-class whitetail. And, and we, we do grow you know some, some decent deer here in North Missouri. We don't grow them like they do in, in southern Iowa. But, you know, this particular deer was was a rarity, definitely a rarity in Missouri, uh, even, you know, a rarity in southern Iowa. So to answer your question, no, I didn't feel like I was in his bedroom. I just felt like I was playing the Powerball, and I was just hoping that that all my numbers were going to hit one night when I was in the tree. And when this deer came out, I was actually walking in that night, and I saw this deer on the side of a hill. It's a, it's a terribly hard-farmed access. It's all pretty much all CRP until you get to the, the other side of the farm where it butts up against some timber on the neighbor. And uh, um, I was walking in, and I actually saw this buck with a, another buck and a doe, and I had the wind right, and I was able to make a big sweep around. I have no idea how I got up in the tree. I actually thought at first it was him, so I was you know, extremely excited um, when the smaller buck came out about 30 minutes after I got up in the tree. When he stepped out, I knew it wasn't him, but trust me, I mean, look, I'm a self-filmer looking through the viewfinder, looking through the binoculars. Um, the only thing that saved that deer's life was his, his G2s were about three inches shorter than, than his G3s, um, which is a, it seems to be a common thing that we have right here in our area is, is shorter G2s. And, and we've always, the, the local guys around here, we've always kind of made the, the agreement that you know if we have a deer like that come out we'll let him go one more year to see if those threes will surpass the twos and and uh uh you know make him a, a much larger deer but uh I, I i reached over and grabbed my my bow and this was a leased piece of property um i leased some property with another guy from the whitetail fix mike marsteller and we kind of have a gentleman's agreement that we only shoot one buck off each track um and this particular track it was him and then the big deer and and i would have i would have broken the rule uh and 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 shot them both but um like i said i felt like i was playing the powerball and and this deer was so unpredictable i knew he was within a quarter to a half mile he was killed three quarters of a mile west of where where i'd been hunting him um i knew he was close and it was just you know one of those deals this was mid-october uh, the weather was right. The food source was there. Uh, and then, and again, yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go in and, you know, be dragging this, this 155 inch deer out and him been staged up on the edge on that one particular day coming in to get a bite to eat or an early doe. We, we joke all the time here that the rut starts about September and ends the first of March, uh, cause we've got so many does. So just right. one of them, you know, didn't want to, didn't want to screw it up. And then I'm always thinking, you know, and, and the guys beat me up pretty hard about it because I'm always thinking the next year, you know, man, what would yeah. that what would that deer be like next year? And uh, and judging by what we had on on trail cameras on that farm, uh, there was some decent prospects. But as far as the top hit, hit lister, that particular deer was going to be the top, you know, top hit lister for next year. I got gotcha. you. You know, and I guess what what poses this question is that I, you know, I hunt in 
Michigan, a, high, a highly pressured area, which I also do hunt out of state as well. And and I don't know if it's right or wrong. My standards are are bigger in out of state. You know, I want to kill a four year old, mm-hmm. um, but I I don't have as many big deer on the wall as you do. Um, but you know, in Michigan, I'm I'm trying to kill a three year old, and that's regardless of antler size. If I think the deer's three, and you know that deer excites me then that that's that's what I'm going to go for um but my big thing is to you like I'm trying to pick a lot of people's brains about this and do you you know a lot of people say well if, if well if I don't kill it then then the neighbor's going to kill it now does that ever cross your mind and is that something that you factor in if it does oh yeah yeah and 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 what I call my primary farm which is is just behind my house it, the farm that I grew up and cut my teeth on um, the, the neighboring landowner had sold off a bunch of that property to, uh, um, an, an old order or horse and buggy Mennonite community. Uh, and they've got a ton of kids and, and they love to hunt, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, I, I've worked with them and, or I shouldn't say work with them, but I, I've talked with them and, and tried to educate them and, and whatnot, you know, on, on growing older deer. And, and it thankfully has worked. It has taken a toll on our numbers. But I've had uh, I've had two of my uh, target bucks that that have fallen you know to those neighbors. So yeah, if I'm you know if I'm hunting a, a big deer behind my house, then my philosophy over the years has changed because the pressure has increased. That okay, do I want to kill him at four year you know four years of age at 160 inches, or do I want to take the gamble that I can kill him at five and 170 and I can, like I said, I've only, I've only lost two that I know of, both of them have been giants. Um, but, uh, and, and that's, let me rewind one thing. When I I talked about, you know, TV and, and learning so much from TV, I do think that that's one thing that the TV has, has maybe in one respect has helped the industry or the hunting and, or educating hunters. And I also think it's, it's hurt because so many, so many people get into the, well, you know, he's 160 inches at, at four, he's automatically going to be 175. I mean, you know, not every five or six-year-old deer is going to be a, a Boone and Crockett deer. I mean, the One of my target deer that I lost to, to the neighbors was, uh, uh, I think he was six years old, and he didn't, I don't think he gained an inch in score from from four to six. I mean, he just was what he was. He just, he was just older. Um, but but yeah, it definitely, and where I was hunting this 200 inch deer, um, or we called him splits. I won't say how, how big he was. I never actually played my hands on him, but he was a world-class whitetail. Uh, it was a much highly, a more highly pressured area. Um, so I, I mean, I knew that the odds were stacked against me, uh, from the get go, but he did fall a victim to a, to a archery tackle, which was a little bit of sense of relief because our gun season you know, happens right during the rut here in Missouri. So, uh, the lucky bow hunter or the lucky hunter, uh, I'm proud to say shot him with a bow. So that was, uh, a little sense of relief or closure that, that, uh, you know, it wasn't a 500 yard shot on a whim, you know? Yeah. And, you know, that's, I guess that's just something that, you know, I used to be that guy that I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot that deer cause the neighbor's going to shoot him. You know, I used to be that a couple years ago and I needed to get away from that because, you know, if I kill that deer, that deer is a hundred percent dead and it's mine. You know what I mean? So I'm, I was trying to figure out how to like combat that. And, 
um, now, um, the last, I would say the last three or four years, I've really got myself out of that and, um, you know, really just stuck to my guns. Like said, Hey, I need to, it needs to be three years old. Like it has to be like, you just have to make that jump. And hopefully I'll be able to make the jump to a four-year-old. Um, it just, it hasn't, hasn't went there yet because I just don't have a ton of four-year-olds. I only had one four-year-old on my farm this year. I hunted him hard. I shot him and didn't recover him. And he lived and then ended up getting hit by a car a couple weeks ago. And that, and that just, that's just the nature of the beast. I had my opportunity at him, but that's the first four-year-old I've ever been able to hunt here in Michigan on the farms that I've hunted. So, um, you know, I started with the two and a half year olds and then I went to three and a half. So now I'm there. Um, and I'm just, I'm, you know, our three and a halves, we can get some big three and a halves, but our, you know, that our top 10% of our bucks are three and a half from 115 to 130 to 135. That that's, that's the range I'm in right now. Right. Well, and it's, it's risk versus reward. Uh, most of the guys on, on whitetail fix, yeah, and, and we don't even have to talk about just the, the guys on the TV show. Most of my friends, you know, yourself included and, and, uh, and pe- people listen to this, if they saw the videos and they saw the, the pictures of the deer that I were, was passing, you know, they would say, you're absolutely nuts. And, and to be honest, you know, the, 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 the big TV guys that have the thousands of continuous acres, you know, my primary farm is, is about 200 continuous acres. That's the biggest, that's the biggest farm that I hunt. You know, yep. everything else is, is forties and eighties and, and things like that. Uh, so a lot of those farms, I do have great relationships with my neighbors, uh, which definitely helps. A lot of the farms I don't have, I mean, I have relationships with them, but they don't share the same philosophy I do. Um, so it, you know, it makes it, it's, it's risk versus reward. If, if, if you shoot it, then, you know, you have to, you have to live with the, you know, with the decision that, Hey, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm happy with it. Uh, if you, if you don't shoot it and the neighbor does, you know, you just gotta, you know, you gotta stiff up your lip and say, well, you know, I tried. And, yeah. and it, like I said, it's, it's bit me in the butt more than once. Um, but I've also, you know, I've also, you know, capitalized on it. A, a deer that we hunted for, um, for several years, uh, we called, uh, originally called the Bowers buck and Jason Bowers was on the show and shot at it with a muzzleloader and uh, nicked his belly. And then Matt Bullens, I think grew on him the next year and got busted in the tree. And, uh, two years after that, I finally killed him. I mean, he, he was a legend on, on the farm and it was, you know, it was such gratification to know that we, we finally closed the book, but gosh, it was, it was so uh, rewarding every spring or early summer when, you know, we'd go out and start filling feeders and, and putting cameras up when he showed up, it was like, yeah, he's still here. And then in the same respect, you know, the, the summer after I killed him, you know, it was a little bit of a letdown too, knowing that, gosh you know we don't have to worry about you know, getting pictures of that big guy anymore so like i yeah. said it's you know it's it's risk versus re- reward and and where you hunt and 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 i see people on social media that you know just you know they they bash missouri's gun season and, and they bash this law and they bash that law and, and you know my response to that is you know the gun season in missouri has been where it is for as long as i can remember um and I deal with the same thing that, that all my neighbors deal with. I just go and talk to those neighbors and, and with these, with these, this Mennonite community, I mean, I've started taking them trail cam pictures and printing them off and saying, you know, here, I, I truly believe that this deer is four and, 
you know, he has potential to, to be a, a mega giant next year. You know, this is just a, a big basket rack four-year-old. If you see this one, you know, feel free to, you know, and I say feel free. You know, we don't can't live with the mentality that we can tie him to a tree. But, you know, if, if you have an right. opportunity at this deer, this would be a good one to shoot, you know. But here's a mm-hmm. here's a three-year-old six-by-six or 12-point, you know. Gosh, you know, yeah, he's nice. But, man, if we let him go, imagine what he'll be in two years. And luckily for me, it's, it's worked. Um, yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's, to me, it's just as much about the relationship you have with your neighbors. And, and I don't want to use the word educate. Um, but if you can, if you can start that dialogue with them and then hopefully over time, you know, subtly sneak a little education in, you know, your conversation where they start thinking and start looking at trail cam pictures and, and you know, sharing pictures of deer that, that you've harvested that, you know, hey, look at this. Oh man, that's a great buck. Well, yeah, you know, he's a great buck because I passed him two years in a row. Um, it's just, I've just been lucky. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a hell of a lot more lucky than I am good. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, and that was that was the that was what I was looking for basically because, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat you are in a way. You know, my family farm is 215 acres, but I I share it with 11 guys. Mm-hmm. So you know up there it's it it can be tough sledding but you can you can kill uh, a respectable deer for the area um but my other farm which i call my call the main farm it is uh it's an 80 and then across the road it's a 40 so it's a 120 um but it's on the 80 it's only got one acre of timber with a wooded fence line that i can hunt and then it, it's all ag and then uh on the 40 there's like three to five acres of timber um and that's it but I mean, it is surrounded like by ag in little spots of woods, um, and I'm starting to find out too that a lot of my neighbors, uh, you brought up the education part. A lot of my neighbors, they're not very educated, and I'm not sitting here and gonna say like I know it all or I, I, you know, this is what you should be doing and everything. I don't want to be that guy. I want hunting to be fun for everybody. Sure. But, but hunting like you know and justin knows it is my life it is my job and it is other than my family it is the next thing on the list you know because i think about it every day the the year i'm doing something hunting every single day and um you know that the main farm there's a lot of gun pressure once once gun season comes on november 15th but bow season around there there isn't a lot so you've basically got october 1st till the the, you know the 15th to, to get it done with a bow and then mm-hmm. it's pretty it gets pretty uh you know sparse of what you're gonna try to see and and but you know to combat that like I've really tried to hone in on my inventory early in the summer and glassing and everything and really getting getting to know the deer that I want to pursue that year because if I know them and I'm gonna say intimately I know how many points they are, how, what, you know, they have weird tines or, you know, a notch in the ear or whatever. And I do like to name them. Uh, a lot of people don't. I just think it's much easier than saying, oh yeah, Chuck, I'm, I'm going after that buck that that's got like the kick up beams and the, <laughs> right, right, you know, right. like, like the small brown, the little brown. No, no, not the 10, the eight, you know, yeah. it's so much easier just to, and, but you know, so that's kind of what I lean my hat on is because I want to know what those deer look like when they step out. And it could be a split second, you know, decision. I'm like, okay, that's, 
Jim Abbott, I'm going to shoot him. You know, that's so-and-so. I, I, he was on the list. I'm, I'm, I'm going after it. And then I got the no-hit list, you know. so. Sure. But and, and sometimes you're going to get that instance where you're going to have a, a, a new guy show up, and it's like, and then you got to make a decision, you know. So it well, was just something. And you've got and you've got the ag fields, and you know it's it's no big secret. You know, food is food is key, and and I and I absolutely love hunting timber. So to say I had one acre of timber to hunt on would be, you know, I'd pull my hair out. But a lot of these lease farms that I've picked up are big CRP fields. I've never hunted Kansas, but from what I've seen on on TV, you know, they they would look a lot like Kansas. They're big CRP farms with draws running up and down them. You know, and strategically placing food plots on those farms and giving those deer a reason, you know, to travel up those draws or bed in those draws to to go out into that, you know, that CRP field to that that food plot is is something that that I'm doing that that maybe a lot of my neighbors aren't doing. And then mm-hmm. and then just hunting smart. I mean, I was sitting in a, the stand. Um, just a few yards off of the neighbor's fence row on opening day of gun season hunting what I called the bedroom. Um, and you know, they, they go in 15 minutes after daylight on some side by sides and, and, uh, you know, drive halfway down the pasture right to the edge of the timber and then go cracking in through the frost covered ground. Um, just, you know, hunting smart and, and trying to out hunt your, out hunt your neighbor um, will make you, you know, will make you probably more successful most times than your neighbor. But at the same time, I'm a hundred percent archery guy too. So, so I, I'm a little bit handcuffed, uh, through mid November here in Missouri. So uh, every time a gunshot goes off, you cringe because you just, you know, you just don't know. And like I, like I said before, if, if, if I want, and I don't discriminate, you know, I, I don't discriminate to anybody that shoots any buck that is happy with that buck, whether that's a four corn, a spike, whatever it may be, I, I don't discriminate. But my philosophy is no longer how it doesn't matter how long you marinate those horns, you still can't eat them. So if I right. if if I want to if I want meat for the freezer, Lord knows we have plenty of does and there's plenty of opportunity uh, to not only fill my freezer but better that herd out there if I'm looking for meat. So, yep. you know, I'm, and, that, I'm and right that's there not, with you. and that's not everybody's philosophy in hunting. And, and that's fine. Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, their, their God given right is, you know, an American hunter to be able to shoot whatever makes them happy. As long as, you know, it's, it's legal here, here in, in Missouri, Missouri is, is getting, I'm going to use the word radical, uh, with some CWD stuff. I'm fortunate enough. I'm still in a County that's not in a CWD zone. I can still supplemental feed. I can still put out mineral. Um, and we still have a four point rule in Missouri. They have to have, or in this County anyway, they still have to have four points on one side to where these CWD counties have gone to no mineral, no feed and no point restriction. And mm-hmm. it, 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 it's just going to take, and I don't want to get off track, but it's going to happen in my County and it's going to be a sad day. Yep. And I'm right there with you. Katie bar the door. Mich- What's that? I said it's going to be Katie bar the door. I mean, people are just going to yeah. shoot what yep. you know, shoot what they can shoot. And 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 I truly believe, and 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 this is a topic that we could you know we could fill up five episodes of your podcast with um, on supplemental feeding. First of all, it's the number one way to get pictures. But I truly believe the supplemental feeding is great for deer herd and and i've had ehd outbreaks here in missouri where you know it's 
I've been hit, but not been hit as hard as other places. And I truly believe it just like a human, the healthier the human, you know, the better you're going to fight off influenza or, or that common cold or whatever. And I, and I truly believe the deer hurts the same way. And there may be people out there that, you know, are spitting beer out their nose right now when they're listening to this thing. This guy's nuts. But, uh, <laughs> but like I said, that, that's, that's a story for another, you know, a topic for another time. So. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the, the CWD stuff and the point restrictions, because that's a big thing that we're battling right now in, in Michigan and the County that I'm in, we haven't found any confirmed cases yet in my County, but I'm surrounded by all the counties that have been, uh, found. So I'm in the zone. So there's no supplemental feeding. There's no, um, baiting, no nothing. Um, and there used to be some, some APRs in Michigan and, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they've, they've taken some of those away. Um, and that's, that's a big thing right now is do you like them or don't you like them? And, you know, I was asked that question the other day and I kind of had to step back and think about it for a second, but you know, my philosophy, I do like them. And this is the reason why also is because ever since I was little, you know, they have this youth hunt in Michigan. My dad never let me hunt the youth hunt because he didn't, he didn't think that was the way to get me into hunting. Right. Um, and the other thing is, is, uh, uh, I, and on our family farm, the farm that I grew up on, the internal rule in camp has always been four points on one side or eight or bigger. That's my whole life. I've never been able to kill, you know, I have like our first buck that, you know, on the property, your first buck can be whatever you want, but I ended up killing a six point that had four on one side and two on the other. So I've never really killed a buck that didn't have four on one side. So that's always been instilled in me that like when you see a six point or a four corn or a spike come out, I never really was like, Oh, I'm going to kill that deer. You know, I, it just, it's been instilled in me as a, as a, as a little tiger that, you know, and I'm not saying that's, that's right, but I can tell you when my kid comes up and if, if she takes the hunting, because, you know, I, I really still don't believe in the youth hunt as well. I think it's good for kids, but I just don't think me taking her out in the middle of September when the deer are on a very, you know, predictable pattern and her killing her biggest deer, possibly her biggest deer ever and never latching on to hunting again, possibly. Right. I just, I, I, you know, I think it's fun to get the kids in to the you know into the woods when it's warm out you know and it's like kind of comfortable and everything in a way but then i just don't think um if my dad would let me hunt the youth hunt that i'd be even more engulfed in hunting you know what i mean i just you know and that's just the way i feel and that's the way i was brought up so that's where i'm at with that but yeah, I mean, I remember uh, very well the, the first deer that I shot. You know, it definitely wasn't, wasn't a giant. It was a open sight, 30-30, uh, homemade wooden tree stand, and a, and a four-corn. And my dad was gone that night. But, man, I ran to the house. I remember getting a John Deere 316 lawnmower and a little pull-behind John Deere wagon and went down and, you know, recovered the deer myself. And, you know, to me, that was that that was a Boone and Crockett. And, and I'm, I'm thankful that that was – my first deer because if i'd have went out and shot the biggest deer on the farm i'm not real sure that i would have the the same passion for whitetails uh today that i that i do so i i stand i stand with you aaron on what you you know 
I'm, I'm not against the youth season at all, but, but, uh, I got to say you and I are definitely on the same page. Yeah. And, and I don't want to discourage anybody out there that has their kid doing that, or, you know, that's just how I was brought up and that's just what I believe in. And, and, you know, but for, as far as the APRs, cause that's a big thing going on, not even just in Michigan, but everywhere, but I believe APRs do work cause I did watch it firsthand on our family farm my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I, that's just ever, that's just what I've had to deal with my whole life. So that's where I'm at with it. And, um, but yeah, well, I, don't, I don't want to get, get you all off topic either, but I'm going back to Montana on an elk hunt, um, this September. I haven't been in a, in a couple of years and I was just talking with the outfitter the other day in the last four or five years, they put in a brow time rule out there and, and we were talking about it and he said, he said, I can't believe how much better quality elk we have to hunt today because of that one little rule. Uh, so yep. it doesn't just, you know, it doesn't just apply to, to the whitetail world, but uh, it just goes back to what we talked about earlier. You know, you, you can't kill a big one if you kill a small one. Uh, right. So. Yep. Justin, I know you're over there on the other side. What What's your take on the APRs? He lives in Iowa. He doesn't have any take on it. They're all giants. <laughs> exactly. Well, to be to be fair, I uh, you know growing up in New York, um, that was a different way to learn how to hunt. You know, in my opinion, you know, I didn't grow up in the Midwest, and I didn't have the opportunities to hunt. You know, a good gene pool, so to speak, and uh, you know, it was shotgun only for the longest time. And you can't even hunt deer till you're 16 in New York. So, you know, I not to say those a lot against me, but I mean, I had a long time to wait. So I just used that time to learn as much as I could before I put a weapon in my hand. But um, we don't have any APRs. Um, I take that back. I think in the last five years, a couple counties like in western New York have implemented them. But um, I never I never had to, to decide or, you know, play by those rules, I guess, if you want to call it that. But, uh, you know, similar to Chuck, my first my first buck, my first deer – uh, really beautiful six point, uh, that I shot. And as I was tracking it, the neighbor shot it. I watched it die by somebody else's gun. So, I mean, <laughs> there's a lesson to be learned there, you know, but the next day I went and shot a five point. So, I mean, just part of that, you know, that evolution of a hunter that, you know, we've all read about, you know, like just kill one and then kill as many as possible, focus on quality, you know, and then just start refining your, expectation you know as a manager and a land steward but i mean i don't i don't know how else to to describe it i don't something there that aaron and i have actually been a couple places or at least one place uh, before doing a little seminar talks and, and i always open a seminar up is i don't believe hunting is something that i can teach you you know you're 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 born with that natural instinct to go hunt and For the sure. only way you're truly going to learn is to get out there and and do it yourself. And, and I've learned a ton of advice and, and tactics and tricks from other people, but until you can figure out how to go out and, and master that yourself and, and put it right. to use. And, and like you said, you watched a, watched your buck die at the hands of somebody else's gun. Um, you know, that was just a learning experience that uh, you build off of and makes you a better hunter. Yeah. And it's, you know, something you said earlier, uh, that kind of, that kind of hit home for me was, you know, in regards to your God given right to, to 
to make that investment in the animal and like only you know what's involved in that, you know, and when it comes to choosing whether you're passing a, a two or a three or a four-year-old deer, like depending on where you live and what you identify, you know, as a, as a target, um, you know, one thing I said that, you know, when I shot my buck this year, uh, you know, and this wasn't rehearsed or anything, it just kind of came out of my mouth in the moment, but like no matter what you're hunting, where you live in the country, big game, small game, whatever, you know, every hunter has a right to define their own trophy. Like only you know what's invested in that moment, whether it be years of management, hours of, you know, stalking, like however you define it. Like for me, it was leaving my whole family, selling my house. My wife quit her job, just uprooted and moved to Iowa to take this job, you know, and that deer will forever be one of the most important deer and, you know, one of the most memorable hunts I've ever had and will ever have in my life for that reason. So to be able to quantify your trophy, how you decide, I mean, that's hundred percent. You're right. And nobody can, nobody can take that from you. And the, the best way to, to, to respond to that is simply amen. I mean, I, I don't, yep. you know, I don't ever judge, you know, if somebody kills a deer you know, I don't care if it's somebody I, I know or if I'm driving down the road and they're lo- loaded the back of the truck and I stop to say hi. You know, it's a handshake, a high five, and a congratulations. And that doesn't yep. doesn't matter if that's a 110-inch two-year-old or a 200-inch six-year-old. Like you said, you know, nobody nobody knows. Yep. And and I take a much different approach to whitetail hunting than, you know, some of my friends do. And, and that's fine, you know. Um, you know, we're just blessed that that uh, you know, we don't want to, you know, get, get all the Nugent and Waddell on us here. But I mean, we're we're just blessed that that we live in this country where you know we have the right to do this and and uh, um, and do it the way we want to do it. As long as you know, as long as we're within the confines of the yep. law, you know, it's yep. you know whatever you want to get out of it. So that's right. Yep, Justin, I mean, you both hit the nail right on the head. I mean, you don't know whose journey got them to that point to, to kill whatever they wanted to kill, you know. And that that was another thing with the APRs going on, too. It's like, you know, this, it could be, you know, a, a kid or a or a adult could be dying of a terminal illness, and this could mm-hmm. be their last yep. hunt. You know, this would be their last hunt, and it's like, well, with the APR, if you have a spike come out or if you have whatever, if it doesn't have four on one side or three on one side, then how do you justify right. that? And it's, I don't know how you really combat that yet, but, um, it, I guess to go back, it, it does, it has shown and proven that it does better the deer herd. Um, but I mean, it's, it's still up for discussion and I think it'll always be something, you know, a big talking point and maybe, you know, I don't know. It, will everybody agree on it? I never. You no. know, it's just it's like it's like being part of a private club, right? Right. Exactly. You know, and to go back to your trophy idea too, or your trophy story, and I talk about them every podcast. But the the deer I was hunting this year, Jim Abbott, he, you know, he you look at the deer and antlers wise, yeah, he probably isn't a trophy. He, you know, he's been deformed on the one side his whole life that I've known of, but. I've been chasing this deer for three years and you know, like I said, like the deer is four years old and it, he is the, uh, the unicorn Mm -hmm. of our area. Like 
a lot of people don't know he's four years old. Like I have a neighbor opening morning a rifle season passed him up because he, you know, he hunts, he's a rifle hunter, but I just, he's educated to a certain point. And that wasn't a trophy to him because he didn't have great antlers. That was his, but he didn't know he was a mature deer. You know, he just didn't know he wasn't that far educated, which is fine. You know, um, but that's he he got passed up by three different hunters this year I know of with a rifle, my neighbors that told me because he didn't have another good side. And when I look at him, I'm like, man, this is the story that got me here to him. I mean, that is he is what epitomizes a trophy because you never know as a, as a year and a half old, which a lot of people don't understand. And this is a podcast I want to get into as well is, you know, a lot of hunters around me and in Michigan, and I'm sure this is everywhere too, but I can only speak to the guys that I talk to here in Michigan is like, I show them a picture of the deer on my phone. It's like, well, yeah, he's a good one to get out. Cause you don't want him breeding. Well, I don't believe I mean, that. You never know what yeah. happened to that deer right. because that first of all, number one, in my opinion, you can't control genetics in the wild. You just cannot, especially in the area I'm in because I don't have enough ground. Number two is, and when I ask people, I'm like, well, do you know how he got that? And they're like, well, what do you mean? Like he was born like that? And I'm like, well, no, he, it doesn't mean he was born like that. He could have been hit by a car as a one-year-old. And what a lot of people don't understand when I tell them this story is like, you know, if he has an injury on his back, right side and let's say he was shot or got hit by a car and he survives on his hind side you know his opposite side antlers are going to be deformed possibly but if you hit him on the front shoulder on that side it's usually the same shoulder if that makes sense so a lot of people don't understand that and you know and i just want to educate them a little more you know if they want to be educated i don't want to shove it down their face either because then it's not fun that's the hard part is they need to be willing to accept the fact that they might be wrong. And if, if, if you can't, if you can't have a intelligent conversation about it and say, well, you know, there's actually stuff out there that suggests that's not true. Like if they're not willing to actually talk to you with the willingness to learn something else, like all you're going to do is piss them off. I, I've picked up in the last three years, probably three different uh, deer heads that, that people have shot on my property and in the back of my mind I've said well this deer's three or this deer's four just looking at his body laying there uh, and then we open open up his mouth and they're they're toothless um, you know I'm now are they are they that old that they're toothless you know I don't believe as far as aging deer that that any of us are a hundred percent you know spot-on correct on on aging deer but um, I've lost my train of thought, but, um, yeah, I, I, as we say around here, I derailed, but, but, uh, yeah. back, back to the genetic, back to the genetic thing too. Um, I've actually, and we're probably getting off base of what you want to talk with. I've actually had very, um, just great conversations with friends of mine that absolutely refuse to shoot a doe because they don't know what the genetic makeup of that doe is. And, and, right. you know, it's something that you got to sit there and scratch your head a little bit and say, you know, that, that makes sense. And, you know, and I don't, I mean, it depends on which, you know, which expert and biologist and whatnot that you, that you talk to, but, but 
back to the, the, the part about the, the genetics, you know, there's, there's no way, you know, there's no way in the wild that, that we can, that we can say that that buck, you know, will never be anything. And then the same thing with, with that doe. I mean, that's one reason why when I, I don't like shooting does late season, cause I gotta, I gotta wonder did, did that 200 inch deer that I was chasing breed that doe and six years later, right. you know, I'm going to have a chance to chase a deer like his daddy. Um, right. And, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's putting way too much thought into it. And, there, and, and probably to a lot of people, that's what we, that's what we do. But back to your story about your deer, Aaron, the one, one thing that, that we all have, you know, that you and I have an advantage of and Justin is, you know, the trail cam pictures, the video and, and the, the ability to put that into a story. And, and that makes it, right. you know, compelling for us, um, to be able to, you know, whether it's just for our self-employment or for airing it on a television show, we're able to tell that story. But, but there again, back to what we said earlier, though, the three different hunters passed that deer. Um, you know, I, I wish that a lot more people did that because horns weren't big enough. And then, then all of us would be, uh, hunting deer like they have in Iowa, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and I even said too. I was like, I'm not gonna. Uh, I didn't tell them this, but I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm not gonna right. beg you to shoot him because you know he's they're passing up these deer and and but I just I I guess I just want everybody to be um be able to have an opportunity sure. to have a better deer, you know, and then it may and then it makes our deer herd better. And and to kind of go back to your doe story, Chuck, I have a like one of my best friends. Still to this day, him and I get in arguments about because he doesn't believe in shooting does, and I do for the deer herd. And he's like, his philosophy on it is, well, if I kill three does, then there is three opportunities for that doe to have a buck fawn that I can hunt later. And I'm like, well, yes, but do you understand that, you know, Typically, if a doe has a buck, and let's say it's a button buck, or you know that doe is going to kick that button buck typically off the property, you know, so in, in some ways that deer is leaving your property as well. But also the big thing for me is you have an overabundance of does. Let's say you have thirty does that li- that call your property home, you know, or even more. Those does are eating the food that the bucks are trying to eat as well. And that, in turn, the does will kick bucks off the property because that's their home. And there's they live in doe family groups. You know what I mean? There's more does than, you know, there could be eight does in a family group to one buck. So my thing is try to get the numbers as close as you can so they can all call it home, if that makes sense. I was going to say another big factor in that, like not only food, like you're talking about competition when it comes to resources, but think about the competition that increases during the rut if your ratio is 10 does to one buck. Every one of those does is going to come into estrus, and if you've got one buck chasing 10 does, like, that buck is going to be severely stressed and, you know, malnourished. He's probably, I'm I'm not going to say he's going to die 100%, but, you know, just from a competition standpoint, you know, that applies to food, breeding rights, um, you know, and that that food availability translates into the spring when it comes time to nurse those fawns, and it's like I'm I'm on your side here, and I think it is 100% necessary to shoot does. Like you, what what Chuck said earlier is true. Like you don't know the genetic makeup of that doe because you don't see it in anything like a set of antlers. You know, and the doe is the limiting factor in what's 
you know, what you see in the offspring, but, you know, by the rule of nature, your youngest deer are the most genetically superior just because of that competition. Like the bucks fight for breeding rights, the same thing, like moose, elk, caribou, all mammals do it. And the does, you see them fighting, you know, there's a, there's a pecking order and a hierarchy amongst the females, you know, that doesn't dictate their breeding cycles, but you see the respect they have for each other based on their age classes. And that's why if you can target mature does, you're having just as much of an effect on your herd as targeting mature bucks. Yeah. Well, well, you're both right. In my opinion, I, you know, I call this, you know, a dead horse conversation because, uh, you know, you can, we can, we can beat back and forth all we want because I'm actually on both sides of the fence. You know, I, I'm the same way. I looked out my window tonight and counted 44. Now, albeit, um, my, my farm, what I call my primary farm, it really didn't have anything this year that I wanted to shoot. So we've been dumping corn, uh, behind the house all winter just to keep the deer to kind of this side of the property. Um, and it's, you know, it's cold here, but it's 44 of them behind the house. Um, hunting turkeys here uh, is just nearly impossible because we've got so many hens, you can't call in a damn tom. That's the same way with, with the rut. You know, the, the rut is, you know, you don't, it, we, we'd all been married a long time ago if we didn't have to go out and look for them, you know, and, and, um, <laughs> right. and then, uh, I mean, it's the same way here. Um, so, I mean, I'm on both sides of the fence. I, I definitely believe that, you know, um, too many miles at the table is a bad thing. Um, and, and it goes back to what I said about our rut starting in September and going through March. I mean, I've literally seen sit in the stand and had a, a doe and a, a button buck walk by and the button buck has got, you know, two to two and a half inch buttons on top of the head. And the next fawn that walks by looks like it's, you know, barely out of spots. You know, that goes that goes to show you right there that that rut didn't happen in that seven or that breeding didn't happen with those two does in that same seven to 10 day window first of November and right. October, you know, and um, yeah, and I don't know that that we can ever I don't know that we can ever as as hunters uh, completely get a buck to doe ratio where we want it um, just for the simple fact that. Uh, like you said, Justin, one gets pushed out of this herd, it ends back up in your other herd. We do a we do a coyote drive here with about 175 Amish every year, and we'll completely rid a section of coyotes. And then three weeks later, it sounds like there's 20 or uh, twice as many back. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. I don't know that 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 we can ever, you know, with with manpower or hunting power, we can ever get a buck to doe ratio exactly where we want it. I think that's why the good Lord mother nature makes us endure nasty things like EHD and, and stuff like that is it's, you know, nature's way of getting things back the way it needs to be. It's never fun. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a cleanse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I think when it comes to the does, it, it's, it's a dead horse conversation because I think people are right from both sides. And, and that's, that's a, that's kind of a, the, the nasty nature of us as outdoorsmen. Uh, I've done radio for 20 some years. There's a song, you know, politics, religion, and her. Well, you might as well throw hunting in on that too, because because that's four things that you know you probably, if your best friend is is you know into women, politics, religion, and hunting, you're probably not going to end up being friends at the end of the conversation. So. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> that needs to be a T-shirt. I'm going to tell you what right now. <laughs> new, new, uh, yeah, <laughs> new podcast T-shirt. There you go.
I might have to we might have to make that. Yeah, and and you know for the doughs dough things is I've I've said it before, you know, on on uh my main farm property, I don't see a lot of doughs every time I go out. You know, if I start seeing what I think is 20 different does every sit then i and then i'm gonna feel like i got a dough right. problem but like i don't right now like i might go out and see two three does a sit you know and then i'll see like a buck or or two bucks so it's like okay i i i'm in check a little bit here now i go to my my other farm my family farm you sit in our hayfield you'll see 60 to 70 does a night without a buck in the field yeah. so it's like okay we need to start doing some this is some dough management here and um that's kind of how I dictated a little bit. And I think, I want to say it was Dr. Grant Woods. I think I heard him say a couple years ago, if you have, you know, if you have a doe, if you have a family group of does comes out, that's like five or six does or something like that all together, you know, then you probably have too many does. I can't remember if that was the number. I, I probably shouldn't have said that because I might be telling something wrong. But he did say something like that. It was like seven, five to seven does in a group that means you should probably shoot one of those does that's what he was kind of getting at um and uh so i don't know it, it's just like you said chuck it's one of those things that you're probably not going to be friends with right. your best friend after you know fighting and this thing is you know he's my buddy's one of my best friends probably my best hunting buddy and you know we don't talk about it really much anymore and he doesn't really give me shit about going to shoot does and i really don't give him shit anymore about not well i kind of do <laughs> because he he goes out like the opening day he went out and like before it was like a half hour after sunrise he's already seen 45 does different does and like dude like you need to start shooting those does you know and i'll just jab at him a little bit but and they don't but he doesn't but some you know family members go up there and shoot a couple does but they can stand to take probably 15 does a year and probably wouldn't even see an effect yeah. honestly i had a neighbor that called me one day and and uh, wanted to know if I go walk his property with him and give him some advice and whatnot. And I said, yeah, I said, I'd love to. So anyway, I'd make a long story short. We walked all his property and we got back. We, drunk, we jumped two does on this entire walk. We got back to the truck and we were riding back to the house. And, and I, we were talking about some food plot ideas and looking at aerial maps, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, how many does do you think I need to shoot next fall? And I said, well, I said, you know, I, I don't know. I said, probably not very many and he said what do you think you know 10 15 something like that i said yeah i said i <laughs> i don't know you know i'd probably be too many so i'm thinking we ought to shoot 10 to 15 at least and this conversation went on for about four miles and and i finally looked at him and I said, how many damn deer did we see when we walked through there he said well, i think we jumped two does i said i wouldn't shoot more than one then and he looked at he looked at me all dumbfounded <laughs> and, and and i said well really i mean you know, there. This was this was springtime. This was when deer would have been, you know, if they lived in that area, no food source. You know, if they lived in that area, then we're going to see every one of them. You know, they're going to be grouped up and whatnot. Right. We saw two. You know, and he's talking about shooting ten to fifteen. I said, <laughs> you know, I I don't believe you know I don't believe I would shoot two, and and I've got farms here. I'm a spoiled hunter. I grew up in, you know, I've, I've lived in the Midwest my whole life. I've lived on this farm my whole life. And some of these lease farms that I've got, you know, I might, I mean, I never used to get skunked. And I may go out and get skunked. I may see, you know, one fawn. Uh, most of the farms I grew up on was like, you know, I didn't see the 60 deer. 
you know, but you saw 15, there was movement all the time. Um, and, and I've always mm-hmm. been, you know, uh, that's why I'm not a good turkey hunter because I can't sit down and, and, uh, and, and not see anything or hear anything. I, I, you know, I'm impatient. I got to get up and do something else. And, uh, you know, the farms that I grew up on, I never had to worry about that because, you know, every, every deer that was, you know, every leaf that cracked was actually a deer instead of a squirrel. And, you know, I, I thought about taking up squirrel hunting on a couple farms just because, you know, you hear the leaves crack and get your hopes up. And it's it's different. It's just so different for not not even, I mean, state to state. I mean, and not even county to county. It's just farm to farm, you know, where, where you're, you know, your buddy, you may, you know, be giving him a hard time for, for not shooting does um, when he should be. And then he may be giving you a hard time for not shooting does when you really don't need to be shooting does. So, yeah, like I said, yeah. politics, religion, women, and whitetails—all conversations that that yeah. are going to end up, you know, in a heated argument. So, yeah. Well, that horse is is beat to about <laughs> as dead as we can get it. So let's let's move on. <laughs> so the next thing, you know, we're a little over an hour here talking, but I, I want to get into this. And I want to pick your brain. I've actually never talked to you about this question. And honestly, I haven't talked to you about it either, Justin. So I, I'm really interested to hear both your takes on it. But um, it's one of those things. A lot of people have trouble with it sometime in their career. And maybe they don't. But it's what a lot of people call the moment of truth. So as a bow hunter, when you're, you know, you've got that buck coming in or that doe or, or whatever it have be, um, you know, that whatever it is five to ten seconds of your process you know how do you how do you deal with what is your process do you have a process to get the job done and you know it's kind of a loaded question but i mean do you have a process that you go through to 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 make everything happen and and get that deer well, on the ground? unfortunately in my situation yes i i do because I don't have a guy like you sitting over my shoulder running the camera. So you know, I've got a process of trying to produce a television show. So I've got the whole process of going through, making sure the camera's on him. Um, you know, it's in focus. This is good. This angle's running. That angle's running. Um, but but as, as far as a, a hunter in general, I can always tell you if 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 my hunt was successful, I can always answer um, a question like that in this way. I'll never remember what happened. You know, if, if I successfully harvest an animal, you know, somebody said, what, what happened? You know, when, when you pulled the trigger or, or, you know, what pin were you using or whatever, I won't remember looking down the the peep site. I won't remember, you know, (laughs) uh, punching the trigger or pulling the trigger or or whatever. Um, because I just, you just get in a zone and it's just, you know, you just, you black, you black everything out and, you know, I, you know, I can't, I mean, I've missed deer before and, you know, try to wonder why, but I can't, I can't answer the question because I couldn't tell you, was I looking down the peep or was I looking around the string? You know, did I, yeah. did I not follow yep. through because I was worried about where the arrow was going to go? It's it, the hunts that are always successful for me. Uh, well, and I shouldn't say the successful ones, uh, every hunt's the same for me because, I just, I get into that, you know, into that zone and the, the guys on the, the, the TV show have always dubbed me the killer. I've always had, a, this is probably gonna be the first year. And I don't know, since 2006 that I don't harvest a buck with my bow. Uh, but they've always dubbed me the killer. And it's just the simple fact that 
that I can go out and get it done. And when the moment of truth, as you say, arrives, you know, I'm usually fairly stone cold. Um, now I will say that since, uh, I've done pretty much all self filming for the last several years. Um, at one time I was considered probably if not number one, number two shot on the show, but trying to run a camera and shoot a bow, some of my shot qualities went to hell, but, uh, but to, to say what motions I go through, uh, you know, like I said, it's uh, I don't typically get the buck fever and the shakes and all that when when it's over with, you know, uh, I'm shaking like a dog crap in a chain, uh, you know, thinking that every link's going to be the hook, you know. <laughs> but uh, but at that time, you know, it's just it's just uh, <laughs> like you said, it's the moment of truth. You just you just. Uh, that's what you're there to do. That's what you practiced all summer to do. And, and uh, so I guess yeah. uh, to answer your question, I, I can't tell you anything special. I do. I think it, in my opinion, like it, it goes back to something you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're either born with it or you're not. And in that moment, you're the predator. And I mean, to break it down in simple terms, I mean, that's, that's really what it is. That deer's prey and you're the predator. And, you know, all the practice you do and everything else is, is preparation for that moment. And the fact that you don't remember what happens, you know, that just reinforces the fact that there is a certain amount of instinct involved in hunting, no matter if the, if the predator is a human or a wolf or a coyote, you know what I mean? It's, it's just something that you either have in you or you don't. And if if you don't, it's not a bad thing, but, um, you know, and I, I, I have this conversation with myself all the time because, and you guys can probably even relate to this yourselves that there's times where I've been just a cameraman on a hunt and once it's all over and that, that reaction is over and I'm like, Oh crap, did I push record? And it's like, and you did, and you did because it's just, you know, that's what you're supposed to be doing in that moment. Like that's your job right then. And then you turn it, you turn the, you, you turn it back over to, to review the footage and you're like, yeah, of course I did. It's there. I think it was season one of our, of our show that, that you edited Aaron. There was, there was a hunt where, where Steve Philly kills a, you know, 160 inch deer. And somebody, somebody asked me what all the, what all the background noise was. We had like three or four different GoPros going and, and then the main camera, well, the stand was just a little, my stand was just a little bit loose and I was shaking so damn bad. The stand was rattling. And every every microphone was picking it up, and all I was was the camera guy, you know. Um, you know, I was just the cameraman, and and I'll admit that you know we started this television journey back in, I think 2009 uh, is when we started. Uh, so you had 10 years this year. Um, you know, it's it's probably not as fun for me as it as it once was. It's not my occupation, um, like like it is yours, Aaron, or even yours, Justice, but. Um, but it's probably not as fun for me as it used to be. Um, but the hunting is still as fun today as it was the day when that little kid shot that, that four corn, you know, that open sight 30, 30. And if it ever gets, you know, if, if I get to the point, I don't want to drag camera equipment up and down trees and, and, you know, go through the, the hour and a half and take pictures and, you know, and doing the hat dance and, and all that stuff. I can walk away from that and be, and be fine with that. Um, I just, I pray that there never comes a day where the hunting becomes monotonous to me because if it does, that's when I have to quit. Um, but, 
like I said, I still get as excited today. I mean, when I was filming the, 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 the mid one fifties, I was telling you about, you know, my knees were knocking together and I didn't even have my bow in my hand, you know? So, um, you know, it's just, like you said, you're the predator and, you know, and, and you know, every, every time a coyote is ready to jump on a mouse or on a fawn or whatever, that it's, you know, it's hearts are racing and it's adrenaline's pumping and, and we're no different. We just, we're too legged and, and are up a tree. So, yeah. 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 And, you know, and my way of combating that is just trying to make that moment slow down in any way you can. You know, if you do have issues with it, I, I did have two seasons. I had an issue with it, you know, probably about eight years ago. And I tried to do a process of elimination. Was it because I wasn't practicing enough? Well, it wasn't that, well, you know, was it this, was it with that? And honestly, what I come down to and Chuck, I, I confided in you a little bit on this. It was, um, it was the sites mm-hmm. I was using. Um, that's what I brought it to. And, you know, I was using seven pins and five pins when really I didn't need to. And I remember the day I called you and said, hey, I, I'm looking into getting a one pin adjustable site. Tell me everything I need to know because I know you're a diehard one pin guy. Um, you know, what What do I need to, to get into to do this? And you know, ever since that phone call and I went and got a site, and, you know, a one pin adjustable and I'm still using it to this day. Um, and that, that single handedly, I mean, it, it, I don't know if that cured me cause I have not had an issue since then. Um, I don't know if that's what it was. I don't know if I just needed something to hang on my, or hang my hat on. Um, but I did try to slow that moment down a little bit too, you know, kind of talking yourself through things as well. But, you know, like you said, it is complete mm-hmm. blackout mode. It doesn't matter if I'm filming or hunting, shooting a doe, shooting a buck. It does not matter. Like it is, you know, instincts, like Justin said, it just takes over and right. you're good to go. You know, you just know. And and that kind of goes back to, you know, when you're practicing in the yard. And that's why I tried to tell my wife too, and I tell myself, you don't need to go out and shoot 30 to 50 arrows a night. Go shoot five yep. great arrows. You know, don't don't make them five quality arrows, and uh, because that, but you know that doing that in the yard, that's going to become second nature. Those five quality arrows, you know what I mean, or ten, whatever it is. Don't make yourself tired to where you're picking up bad habits, and when you're in the heat of the moment, bad habits yep. might take over. You know, so that's I guess and that's I what I'm. I don't shoot at. a lot this this time of year, um, but. I've got a 20 yard range in my basement and I've got a, a range outside and, you know, every now and then, whether it's just in the basement, you know, I've got a practice arrow down there. <clears throat> I'll knock it up and shoot one shot. And chances are, if that one shot on the range ain't worth the shit, that one shot I get in the field ain't going to be worth one either. And, and there's no mm-hmm. sense. I used to do that. I used to go out and I'd shoot, you know, four groups of three at 20 and then four at 30 and so on and so forth. And then yeah. I would start going to hell and I'd say, okay, you know, one, I'm going to shoot one more good group of three at 20 and then I'm done. Well, I get back up to 20 and now I'm wore out. I'm tip off and, and I can't, I can't shoot that one good group of three. And, you know, you kind of have that sense of failure, but you come back out the next day and pick up the techniques and, and stuff and, and boom, you're right back on target. I've got friends that will yeah. shoot a hundred arrows a yeah. night and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a strong guy, short arm guy, shoot 70 pounds. Um, but man, I don't, I don't have it in me to pull that thing a hundred times. 
you know, uh, just I don't have yeah. like a, ten arrows, five, ten arrows, like you said. You know, you, what what's the uh, perfect practice makes perfection, or or uh, I can't remember exactly how that term goes, but uh, but yeah, trying to practice to be perfect well, is just gonna uh, over a lot of arrows is just gonna make you, like you said, pick up yeah. bad habits. So yeah, I think we've hit on everything I wanted to to get accomplished here and. I don't want and to probably you... then some. Yeah, that's fine, though. Yeah. I mean, we had some great conversation going on there. That was good. We got off a little bit on we, – we did beat a horse to death, but, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> not not really. I just, you know. But anyway, I, I, I think it was a great conversation. And, you know, on the East Coast here, or on the East side, it is 1030 at night right now. I know you guys are still – you probably got another hour until you go, you go to bed. Well, Chuck, maybe now it might be past your bedtime. It's it's uh, it's getting there. I, I started doing this CrossFit stuff at, at five thirty in the morning, so I got to drive thirty minutes to get there. So I get up about four fifteen and and get around and and uh, that's that's I'm not a morning. I don't get a lot of morning hunts in because <laughs> I don't like mornings. Well, we're gonna do another podcast coming up, and we're gonna be talking about morning hunting because I know how you don't like it. <laughs> it's uh, it's actually the most rewarding time of the year or time of the day, but uh, but yeah, so. I've enjoyed it, and uh, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast, and appreciate the opportunity to, uh, you know, to be the the, the voice over the voice over. Um, it's uh, that's been fun, so I, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Well, I appreciate you doing it and coming on, and like I said, we'll uh, we'll have you on here again soon. So. Sounds good, Justin. Good visiting with you as well. Yeah, likewise, Chuck. Maybe we'll uh, cross paths one day. I don't think I'm too far away from you. Now, if you're in Des Moines, you're about a little over two hours. So, yeah, there's there's probably a beer joint between here and there that we could set up. We could we could talk some politics, religion, women, and white tails, and whatnot. So, well, <laughs> if I pull my Iowa tag for next year, I'm coming out there. So maybe we'll just have to all three of us meet up and and do that. Sounds like a plan. Sounds good to me. Guys, happy New Year. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Chuck. And there you have it. Episode number 31 is in the books. I can't thank Chuck enough for coming on and and uh, and doing this and also being the VO talent of the podcast or the voice of it, basically. And uh, I'm sorry for the the audio issues. Chuck was having some issues on his end, but it, it, did, you know, it did pan itself out there after he gets talking a little bit. But a lot of cool information on here. Hopefully everybody has something to take from it. And uh, I do want to remind you again, please go on and, and uh, leave a rating and subscribe to the podcast. Go on to the YouTube channel, the Fall Podcast YouTube channel. Subscribe there because you can listen to the episodes there as well if you don't want to download them on your phone. Um, Podbean app and iTunes and CastBox are just a few places you can go and download them. Google Play as well. So if you have an Android or an iPhone or whatever phone you might have, um, go there and download it and And again, thanks a lot for listening and thank you for all the support.
On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.